We uh, finished up a huge series last year, Year of the Bible. We uh, went through the whole Bible together. And every week, um, if, if you weren't, weren't with us, we preached a message that was related to a, a, a scripture that we read during that week, during that, that particular segment of, of, of our, our reading. And so uh, we finished that, that up, and we're starting the year with a new series called Find Your Place. Find Your Place is our theme for this year. We're kind of speaking this over our whole church as, as, as a whole for the whole year. Uh, that doesn't mean that every sermon is going to be about finding your, your place, but you're going to hear about it a lot this year, just us encouraging you to find your place in the house of, of God. What does God want to do with you as it relates to the, the kingdom? And so um, we're, we're going to start that series next week, but I am going to kind of set it up. I'm going I'm to tee it up this week and, um, and kind of lay the groundwork for that series that, that we'll do. It'll last about three, three weeks, carrying us into February. And so today I just kind of want to talk from this thought, every day counts, every day counts. And so when I was growing up, uh, my parents were not frequent flyers. And so what we did, we did road trips. And so our road trips were typically a regional trip. You know, we had to be able to get there uh, quickly, um, especially when my sister and I were, were, were young. Uh, we didn't do well in, in the car, and so we, we needed to be somewhere in five, six hours. And so these were, were uh, regional trips for sure. They were a weekend to Kansas City or St. Louis or Dallas or Nashville, and I would notice um, just by observing, my father had this, this routine that when we were about to pack up and go, he had kind of a checklist for our, our, our vehicle. And my father is very me mechanical. I'm not. And so uh, I would watch him and he would kind of go through this checklist in his mind. And he would, he would do the same thing every time, every road trip. And he would check the, the oil, he would check all of the uh, fluids, he would check the tire pressure, and he would pop the uh, trunk and he would put in a very small bag of, of tools that he had hand-selected that were relevant to our car, and he would always put in one quart of oil, one gallon of water, and some jumper cables. I, I, I'm not really sure why all of that, but he would put all of that in to the kind of just in case. It was water, oil, and jumper cables. But the very last thing that he would do on this checklist, this was almost right at the moment as he was piling in our, our, our family, he would wash the windshield. And so he would get out Windex and some newspaper or paper towels, and he would, he would meticulously clean the windshield. It was very uh, like an OCD experience. I mean, he would, he would raise the wipers, and he'd get every little bug and every little thing, and sometimes he would get a razor, and he would, he would get little things off, and we're all kind of sitting there waiting, and he would wash this windshield, and he would make sure that there was nothing on it. And I always, got, I always thought that that was really funny, but... What I want to do for the next few moments is to look at my father's road trip checklist, and I want to use it as the equivalent to our spiritual lives. And so as a church, we have all the ability in the world to go somewhere. Every church does. There's a lot of great churches in this community. There's a lot of great churches within an hour's drive of this community, and every single one of them have all of the potential in the world to go somewhere. 
And so as a church, we are trying to hear from God, to know what God wants with, with us and what he wants to, to do through us, and we want to obey that. We want to resource it. We want to be a part of it. We want our experience in this life to be able to tell of the testimony of what it meant to obey God and then see him do something among our body. And as individuals and families, the same rings true. And pastors spend a lot of time talking about the soul. However, you are also comprised of a mind and a body and a spirit. And so the point is that God gave you all that you need. He gave you the vehicle, so to speak, to go somewhere. First, as an individual who makes a decision to follow God, and then he will use that individuality to catapult our church. So he will take something that he has done in you as an individual, something that he sees in you, something that he knows that you have a passion for, something that you want to give birth to, and he will take that and he will use it to catapult his church. When we look at New Life Church, we've all done in the same way what my father did with his car. We have come to this church and looked under the hood because we want to make sure the church is sound. We want to make sure it's stable. When you first came to this church, you, you checked it, it, it out. You, you talked to people who were already going here. You talked to me. You came to a Connect class. You raised your hand. You asked them some questions. You sent me an email. You, you did something. Hey, I need to know what is up with this or that, and I just want to get clarity on it. You want to make sure before I put my family in this vehicle, is it sound? Is it stable? We want to make sure that before we put the family into a vehicle of faith, that it will do its best to protect us from the elements and then grow us along this journey. And although we know that the vehicle can be trusted because God founded it, there is no doubt there's going to be a few hiccups along the way. So we prepare a tool bag for the, the journey. We're prepared in the church for flat tires and low fuel and some leaks along the way. We fill our hearts with faith and relationships. And before we consider putting the vehicle in drive, we have to take the final step and we have to clean the windshield. Okay, The metaphor there is this. We know we want to go somewhere. It is evident by the packing of our bags, by the reservations that we have made. But we want to be able to see clearly where we are going. It's not enough to just have vision. It's got to be vision with some clarity. It's got, it's got to have vision. It's got to have more than just, just a burning desire. It's got to have wisdom with it. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about that this morning as well. We've got to be able to see clearly. So for a church that is in motion, and for a church that is intentionally trying to go somewhere, one of the most important things that you will do and one of the most important things that I will do is find your place. It's one of the most important things that you will do this year is to find your place in church. The church does not need you as an audience. It doesn't need you in this particular element. The church does not need you to be a consumer. 
where you, where you come with only the attitude of, what does this church do for me? What, what will this church do for my family, my children? And all those, those things are very important. You eventually have to transition past them and, and, and not be a consumer, but a contributor. And so the church does not need you to stay as a consumer. The church does not need you to keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Finding your place in a church should be an exciting journey. Using your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit, the whole vehicle, to reach someone for Christ is without doubt the highest of calling. That when you find your place, and then what you do in that place helps someone grow in Christ, come to Christ, be rescued by Christ. It, you won't do anything else more important in your life than that. It is the highest of calling. Ecclesiastes 11 and 8 says, says this. People, this is the message. People ought to enjoy every day of their lives, no matter how long they, they live. People ought, people should enjoy what? Every day. Every day of my life should have something that is anchored to God in such a way that it fuels every part of, 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 of me, regardless of what's going on, regardless of levels of stress, regardless of my responsibilities, regardless of that. I should be enjoying every day because God is at work in me. Psalm 118.24, we already read it this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in what this moment, this Day, this opportunity to live and make a difference because I know what God is doing in me and through me and what, what he's trying to accomplish, and there is fulfillment in that. That is why I will rejoice in this day. Every single day counts. Let's look at that for just a minute. Psalm 34, verse 4 and 5 says this. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. One, one version says it's, it's a vapor. You can see it for just a moment, and then it just kind of separates, and it's gone. You can't, you can't put your hand on it anymore. You can't touch it. You can't see it. There's no longer an experience of what you just saw. At some point, usually in our 40s, we start to heavily consider time. We look at it as an economy. We, we look at it and we start to ask questions. Have I used my time responsibly? What have I done? Men in, in, in particular, we look at our lives and we want to see a checklist, much like my father with his car. We want to see markers that produced something. Well, in, in my 20s, I accomplished this. In my 30s, I accomplished that. And in my 40s, I'm doing this. And if, and if I continue, I will reach a place of retirement or where I can slow down some, where I can rest easier knowing that there's some type of financial sustenance. And we, we want to see markers. We want to see our life on a piece of paper and map it out. And that usually happens around our, our 40s. For some... 
the, this experience of wondering what we've done with our time gets deemed as a midlife crisis. Midlife crisis can look this way. One day you're really fine, and the next you're leaving the top three buttons of your shirt undone, and you're buying an Aston Martin and overusing hashtags and tanning beds, okay? It, 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 it can happen quickly. In the early years of our lives, they look similar, all of us. We all had an elementary school experience. We all went to middle school, and then we went to high school, and then there was a big fork in the road after that, and some chose college, and some chose career, and you find a husband or a wife, and you have your 2.5 children, and you, you work, and you work some more, and then you work some more, and then you stress over finance, and you work some more, and then retire, and then travel, and get sick, and you die. That's, that's kind of how it, it all unfolds. And I feel really sorry for those of you who believe in reincarnation because you just got to keep repeating that same thing over and over and over again. And James chapter 4, uh, verse 13 tells us this. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year and carry on business and make money. Uh, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, it says. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What James is really saying here is this. We think we have it planned out. We think we have our life mapped. We think we're going to get to certain destinations, and we know that there's a chance that it won't happen. We look at even our church over the past several weeks. We know when I called people and said, were you even expecting this person to pass? No. Suddenly, I mean, just in a moment, this, this happened. It changed everything. All of a sudden, we, we thought this person was going to be with us until we, you know, for many, many, many more years, but it didn't happen. James is saying life is quick. It's fast. It's, it's something that you can look. And for those of you who now are in, into your 50s and 60s, you, you, you can see 30 years ago as if it were just a few me memories. It seems like just suddenly... 30 years have passed. I remember when my dad was 40 and I was a teenager. And now I'm 40 and he's in his 70s. It's like that. Just moments. If anyone can teach us about time quickly, it's, it's Moses. Moses saw, had, had many different experiences, many different waves and patterns in his life. When we read the story, and it's a very long story about Moses, a lot of data about him. He spends his first third of his life in Pharaoh's house. He's favored. There's a great big story behind why he's there. But he certainly has, has the favor there with, with the house of Pharaoh. The next third he spends running and then shepherding with his father-in-law. In, in Complete life change. And so he spends that second third. And then the last third of his life, he becomes the famed leader that you and I know him as. The last third of his life. Moses actually wrote a few of, of our psalms. David didn't write all of them. And he wrote Psalm 90 about time. And so this is what Moses tells us in Psalm 90, verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Okay? Teach us to number, he says, okay? Teach me to know where I am in my life. Let, let me be wise about where I am. Let, let, let me know exactly what I'm doing right now at this particular phase. Let, let me see it through a lens of wisdom. How are you using me right now in this particular time? 
It's always a hard question, but it's still a good question, and we should ask it sometimes in this forum. But if you had just 30 days left and you knew it, what would you do differently? And I'm not talking about skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, okay? <laughs> but what, what would you add or take away from your life right now if you knew you only had 30 days? Would you do anything? See, there are 86,400 seconds in every day, and I'm not sure how this research is collected, but I I, I sure enjoy reading it, even though it may not be valid. But I'm going to give it to you this morning. Recent study shows that we, we will spend approximately 11 years of our life watching television. Okay, We will spend 20 years, I found this comical, 20 years uh, staring at our phones. Okay, now, if, if you had asked that in 1980, it would have been 25 years watching television. Um, but 20 years looking at our phone, 20 years of your life, you, you will sleep. 20 years you will work. And many of these will o overlap, like when you watch Netflix on your phone at work. Okay? <laughs> and so you will spend one year of your life in church, and then poof, it's over. That's it, in a nutshell. Those five bullets. Okay, welcome to New Life Church, where we make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> to make every day count, really, we have to go with what Moses says. Moses is trying to say, listen, teach me to look at my life, number it, know where I am, know the accountability to it, to see it as an economy, to see it as something that I, I need to be responsible to, and then use wisdom to know that I've got this day, this season of my life, this moment of my life to do something for the kingdom of God. We need a heart of wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. Advice is actually cheap, okay? People know a lot of stuff, and what they don't know, Google does. And so knowledge, information is accessible. It's cheap, okay? As a matter of fact, our schools are no longer teaching information so you can uh, re retain it and then spew it out later in your life to people who don't know knowledge. No, because everybody with the internet can know everything everybody else knows. How, how we're teaching people now is we want to show you this is the information. How are you going to go and use it in a very practical way? That is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And so the Bible even tells us in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, that in, in the last days, knowledge is going to increase. It's going to grow. That we're going to be so interconnected, and there's going to be so much, a wealth of in, in information that, that it's going to be accessible. People are going to know a lot of stuff. But wise people don't, don't just know stuff. They have an application for it. They know this is, is the right info, and this is how I take that and use it in the right way. It's important to understand that life is quick and wisdom is a tool to help us use our days productively. How do we find our place? Let me give you some stuff quickly. The first one, this is great coming into a new, new year. Simplify your life. Some of us ended the year way overcomplicated. It was so complicated and we were so distracted. We had so many irons in the fire and so much doing that there's no possible way that we could have just paused for a moment and said, God, what about you? 
What about you in my life? What part of me do you, do you want to use for the kingdom? Away from my own agenda, my own stuff, my own busyness, what, what do you want? Simplify your life. To, to give you an example, let, let's go to 1 Kings 19. Let me give you 11 and 12. This is, 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 a, is a very unique scene and a powerful scene that is unfolding here. You can read it later in 1 Kings 19. The Lord said, he's talking to Elijah the prophet, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God. The Lord is about to pass by. Now watch this. And a great powerful wind tore through the mountain, tore it apart, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But he wasn't in that. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. You've read this before. Verse 12. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. If you really analyze this, it reveals that Elijah could not hear God because he was too busy listening to earth, wind, and fire. I'm sorry, I had to throw that. If you're going to find your place, sorry, that was really cheesy, but... You, you got to have some time to be present and mindful. And what, what we see is a lot of distraction, a fire, an earthquake, a wind that shattered rocks, but God wasn't in, in any of it. It was all distraction. It was all busyness. It was all noise. And this is a great, great story that shows us what life for us can be like. We can, we can even be ready. We're, we're set up, ready for the presence of God. I, I want to hear you. you. You can be in church on a Sunday morning like, like this one with fully anticipating to hear from God. But the earthquake in your life is so shaking you that you can't, you can't focus. You can't. Like, man, I was, I was there, you know, I experienced it. Yeah, we sang some songs and Kevin talked. I'm not sure about what, but the earthquake and the fire, a wind in my life, and, and you can't center, you can't focus because life is, is, is too complicated for you. You've got to have a moment where you can eliminate distraction and hear from God. And this is more than a prayer. It has to be intentional. You've got to purposefully do it. And so people, listen, they are finding their place at our church. This year, we will add five more campuses to the NLC family. BB, downtown Little Rock, Pine Bluff, Mayflower, and Benton. It's a possibility for a couple of more. We're going to take over 30 missions trips around the globe. 200-plus students registered for the first year of School of Ministry. We should put our hands together for that because that's pretty awesome. 200-plus students, yeah. And so there's going to be multiple campuses like ours that are undergoing significant construction. And hear me, these things do not happen by accident. They happen because people like you heard from God and said yes to it. It's because people like you saw what's going on and you said, I want to get behind a vision and I want to fund it. I want to serve it. I want to do something. And it doesn't happen just by vision. It's because you use wisdom. You got a heart for it. You say, man, we know what to do. Let's do it. That's wisdom. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Right now, simplify your life. The second thing, turn intention into action. A lot of people have when and then thinking. 
When and then. When I get out of debt, then I'm going to give. When my kids get older, then I'm going to serve. When my marriage strengthens, then I'm going to help someone. John Maxwell says this. It's one of my favorite Maxwell quotes. He says, one of these days always ends up as none of these days. When we always say, well, one of these days I'm going to do this, and one of these days I'm going to do that, and one of these days I'm going to do that, it always ends up being none of these days. So you have to turn your intention into action. Listen, when I was in fifth grade, I had a bully, okay, a guy who was so annoying to me. I'd go home to my parents, and I would tell them. We didn't know what, what to call it then, getting picked on, and so I'd tell them, Dad, this guy picking on me. And he would always say, well, you know, suck, suck it up. This is what Jesus would do. What Jesus was going to do was boring. So I wanted to, you know, punch him or something, set him ablaze, do something. And, and, and so I would always ask, Mom, you know, this is what's going on. You know, Dad told me to do what Jesus is going to do, but that seems boring. What do you think I should do? I think you should do what Jesus is going to do. And so I would think about it, and every day he would find me, and he would make fun of something about me, my hair, my shoes, the way my breast stank, something about me. It was always something. Was, I don't have time to tell this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, he came to me, and he said, hey, man, listen, this fifth, fifth, fifth grade, we're, we're going to have a cheerleading team at our school. And I thought, well, that's, that's really stupid. And then he talked talk me into it. He's like, man, there's going to be pretty girls there. You and I are going to be the only men on the whole thing. Like, this sounds pretty good. So I go to a practice. They announce to the school who the cheerleading team is, and he quits. So it's me, one guy on the cheerleading team. And he's over there laughing his head off. It was all a strategy. I'm telling you, I was bullied. So I tell myself that one day, I said, I'm going to confront this guy, and I'm going to tell him to stop it. So, I, man, I, I, for a week, I got worked up. I got mad. I started doing push-ups. I was working out. And I said, I'm going to go confront this guy. And so I, I did what all fifth graders did in 1983. I walked up to him. I threw down some cardboard, and I had a breakdance competition. <laughs> That's, the point is, no matter what you need to confront in your life, no matter what action you need to take, breakdancing does not fix it. Okay? <laughs> you cannot put off the right action. The right action and the almost right action are very far apart. Okay, Mark Twain, and occasionally I will use this quote, he, he, he says this, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Okay, there's a big difference between the right thing and the almost right thing. James chapter 4 says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. There is something about us knowing, having the wisdom to know this is what I need to do to make our actions have great intentionality. Titus 3 says, our people must devote themselves to what is good and not live unproductive lives. Right? I love the, this quote. It says, hear me, intentions without action is a fantasy. Intention without an action, is a fantasy. So third, and I'll, I'll land it with this. I think it's, it's important when we start to talk about finding our, our, our place, and we're going to talk about this for a couple of weeks, is, is to realize that you can use what you have to do something for God. You can look around. It's very easy for us to get into this comparison game. Well, I don't sing like, like them, or... I don't look like them, or I can't speak like that, or lead light like that, and I'm not creative, and I don't know anything about production, and I, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? I, I don't know, you know, I just can't do, no, see, the Lord will look at what you have, 
and he will call something out of what you have, and he will use it. The Bible is chock full of this conversation. David had a sling. It's what he already had. It's what he was already experienced with. And when the favor of God got on his experience of what he had already been using, it became something very, very powerful. Moses had a rod in his hand. He even asked him, Moses, what is that which you have in your hand? A Hebrew boy had five loaves and two fish. What, what are you going to do with that lunch box? Because I'd like to use it. You have it. It's yours. But can I, can I favor it? Okay. A widow had enough oil to bake one more cake. Ehud had a knife. Rahab had a rope. Bonnie had Clyde. Peanut butter had jelly. Okay, there is whatever you've got, let favor come on it. And I want to end by talking about a very unique person for just a second. Give me 67. It's a guy by the name of Shamgar. Okay. And you may have never heard about Shamgar, but Shamgar had a, had a tool. The Bible says he had an ox goad. An ox goat is an old farm tool, and, and it was pointed on one end like, like a pencil and flat on the other like a screwdriver. And they would use the pointed end to, to poke livestock along, to prod them. And they would use the flat end to, to clean, at least everything I've read about it, they would use it to, to clean the, the plow head. And so they would just use that, that stick, and he, he had one. As, as a farmer, he had an ox goat. But the Philistines topped a hill one day, and they wanted to come down during harvest time. They, they were notorious for this. We'll let you do all of the work, and then when it's harvest time, we'll come in and claim everything. And Shamgar said, it's not going to happen today. And so he stands out there in this field of beans, and he basically thinks about his own work, about his own experience. I'm the one who planted this. I'm the one who has nurtured this crop. And he took that ox goat and killed hundreds of Philistines with it. Is that the normal strength of a man? No. Obviously, the favor of God came on him, but that's the point. God took what he had in his hand and he favored it. And because of that, we're still talking about Shamgar. Because it was an awesome experience to see him take something that was already in his possession. It's, it's not a story that says, and suddenly angels of God came down and by, by the thousands and wiped them out. No. It says he took what he had in his hand and he favored it and he used it. And we talk about finding our place here at our, our church. It's important that you realize what do you have? What do you already have? Don't, don't look at what, what teams have that you already see in, in, in place. What, don't, don't, don't look at gifted people and go, well, I'm not like that. I guess God didn't purpose for me. to. I'll just stick with what I do throughout out the week. No, the church does not work without you. You can't pay enough staff to do the work that God wants to do at a church. It's not what, what, it, what he wants. It's not the way the model is set up to go, okay, listen, I'll, I'll give some more. You guys can hire some more staff, and then we're, we're square, right? I mean, I'll go back to no. It's for all of us to find our place and do what God has called us to do. And in that way, the church becomes the healthiest it can be, okay? Let me pray over here.